to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Thank you, Kathy. There really is a great spring setting up at Hillcrest Church. Uh, good morning. Really glad to have you gathered with us. We count it just as a direct privilege each week we get to be together in any way that we can be together. So wherever you're coming from, you're really welcome to be with us this morning. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Christian Lindbeck. I'm the very grateful lead pastor at Hillcrest Church, and like I said, we're really glad to have you here. Uh, this morning is the second Sunday in a six-week series that we're calling Surprised by Paradox. It'll really culminate on the seventh week, which is Easter, when we take the opportunity to appreciate and acknowledge that greatest of paradox that lies at the heart of creation, Jesus, the God-man on the cross who brought life through death. Uh, throughout this series, we're also doing a book study with a book with the exact same name, Surprised by Paradox. And I just really want to encourage you, if you're able, that you read along with us. The book is easy to find. If you just Google Surprised by Paradox, you're going to see this book pop up, and you can still jump in with us. Most of our small groups are reading it, and lots of folks that are just in our church or connected to our church are reading it at the same time. Uh, this is a great opportunity for me to say we are reading this book as a compliment only, so we're not teaching the book on Sunday morning. We're teaching about the evident paradox and the delightful evident paradox in Scripture. But the book is a great complement. It unifies us all together, and it really provides a rich integration between what we're teaching and what you find there. To help, we've also supplied a bookmark just so that we are all reading together. And you can find this bookmark on our website. If you're at the church, you can just swing by and pick it up in the lobby. Um, we've just gotten started, so you can still jump in. On the bookmark, you're going to see each week that we've given you homework. So last Sunday, the homework was to read the intro in chapter one. So that was for this week. This Sunday, so starting on Sunday afternoon, the homework is to read chapters two and three. I hope that that encourages you that there's still plenty of time to jump in now. You can easily go intro through chapter 3 this week, and this allows us to kind of all be reading together. Last week when Tim kicked off this series, um, as he just started to explore the whole idea of paradox, he leaned into the fact that there is paradox in most of life's big questions, like the paradox of existence or love, or morality. And I hope that we take away kind of a key line from him, that the paradoxes that are presented with Jesus make much more sense than the paradox that we still have to live with and wrestle with without Jesus. But Tim also hinted at another idea that I want to push into a little harder this week. And that is that paradox is also empirically evident in nature. So this isn't just a philosophical, theological idea. Paradox is a factual idea. And I find this to be a really critical concept for me and for others. And one of the reasons it matters to me a lot is that I have a lot of conversations that go something like this. Christian, I just 
can't believe in Jesus and this whole God thing because I can't reason it out. I am a person of facts and science. And these ideas are, seem messy and incongruent to me. Jesus can't be both God and man at the same time. God can't be good and evil exist at the same time. God can't be in control and I have free will at the same time. Uh, these just seemingly incongruent facts are making it impossible for me to believe. And in reply to those conversations, and in reply in this very moment, maybe some of you at home are like, yeah, it's a, yes, yes. In reply, I'd say that united yet seemingly incongruent facts are at the very foundation of all reality, both physical and spiritual. To make my point, I'd like to tell you a little story. Now, I'm going to be inclined to make this story too long, but it is a story that is only getting stranger by the day. Around the turn of the century, it started to begin, early 1900s. But in 1912, a young, brilliant physicist named Niels Bohr began to discover some serious problems with the classic models of his mentors. Well, his observations, along with Heisenberg and Schroeder and uh, Pauli, uh, these observations started to unsettle the classical model and uh, ultimately helped lead to the unraveling of the foundational ideas about reality to include paradox. Um, for example, let me use it for example. Um, most of us have in our minds what an atom looks like, right? These basic tiny building blocks of all things. And probably even kids at home. Like you probably know what an atom looks like from school. But just in case... Let me show you a picture. Most of us have in our minds something like this, right? This little nucleus of protons and neutrons and electrons are circling around it like little planets in an orbit around electrons. Now, there's a lot that's true about this. It's just that what's happened is the paradox has been smudged out. The problem with this picture is it's not actually quite true. We know what an atom is, but electrons aren't at some point in an orbit around it. They're more like in a wave of probability around it. Electrons are present. They're just not little dots that are traveling. So here we think something is fundamentally true, we know, but in fact, it is a paradox. And that really just turns out to be the tip of the both-and paradoxical iceberg. In fact, the more we study things that are very small, the more we find out they do not behave in the ways we expect. Um, last week, Tim quickly mentioned that a very simple experiment discovered that the little packets of light that we call photons uh, behave incongruously like two absolutely different things when tested. They can be a point like a billiard ball, or they can be a wave of probability like waves running through two narrow doors. And here's the real conundrum about it, that in a real certain way, it just kind of depends on what we're looking for. You see, it turns out that with all subatomic particles, uh, they are both and paradox 
that is impacted by what we're looking for. I, like, let's say we wanted to measure the spin, like which way a particle is spinning, a subatomic particle. Um, if we are looking to see if they're spinning left or right, they are spinning left or right, and it's either one or the other, and all other directions are out and unknown. Unless, of course, we're looking for one of those other directions, like up or down, and then it will be either up or down, and all other things will be unknown. And it, and it is one of those things as soon as we decide to observe it. And before that, it is both until. Uh, well, these really weird observations upset the granddad of all physics, a man we all know named Albert Einstein. Now, I want to oversimplify this, but Albert had just essentially helped the world figure out the cause and effect of most things in physics. Uh, and so things were falling into neat little lines. And these new quantum, these tiny discoveries, were destroying all of his neat lines of calculation. So this young physicist I mentioned, Niels Bohr, and Albert Einstein, and their schools of thought kind of get into a long and heated debate. And for Einstein, it unsettled all of his ideas of science and the cosmos and even the divine because he suspected if God made this creation or if it made sense, if there was a universe, then it would be orderly and knowable and clear. And for him, the paradoxes that were being presented in quantum theory made the whole universe too uncertain, too unknowable. In fact, it made him really angry, despondent for his field, sometimes personally depressed. And literally, he found if those things are true, if those paradoxes exist, I consider it to be ungodly. Well, to cut the story short, Albert was wrong. Paradox is manifest in nature, and God is still God. And try as he might, every piece of new evidence only made it worse. It turned out that all subatomic particles are actually in every possible configuration, location, and place simultaneously at the same time until they are measured. It's a very paradoxical thing we still call probability. If you're a philosophy student, you probably remembered something like Schrodinger's cat, both dead and alive until you observe it in the box. Well, if uh, classical theory and Einstein were hoping for any relief, then a new idea ruined it forever called quantum entanglement. Well, thank you, John Bell. Uh, quantum entanglement, in a nutshell, it means this. We can find or create two particles that share a relationship that is 100% certain, oppositional, and instant over any distance. So back to spin. If one of these entangled particles is spinning up, then the other one is always spinning down when observed, and it happens instantaneously no matter how far apart these two particles are. And everything we know about classic physics tells us that is simply impossible. And yet, it is true. A paradox Einstein called spooky action at a distance. Since these discoveries, we're actually building computers that rely on these paradoxical realities to do rates of calculations that are millions of times faster than the capacity of current computers. And do you know why it works? Is it because the scientists understand how and why it works? No, like absolutely not because they understand how it works. It's because they accept the paradox. And when they let these simultaneously paradoxical things be true, 
then they get to see what is real and enjoy the outcomes. I really wish we could talk about it more, but if this intrigues you at all, I'd like to recommend a good introductory book called The Age of Entanglement. Here is the salient point. Some truth is best appreciated when one accepts a factual paradox which is 100% okay, because even though humans are brilliant, we are limited. If God is the being behind and above and in control of everything then we observe, observe, then that being is hilariously beyond our total comprehension. In the scripture, when a man named Job lived the paradox of God's goodness and horrific Grief and pain in his own flesh. At the end of the book, he meets his own trustworthy creator. Not only does this satisfy his questions of paradox, but it leads him to declare in 42.3, I have spoken of things too wonderful for me. So the question of reality for everyone is not how to solve paradox, but how to live and think within paradox. Paradox is a fundamental reality of both spiritual and the natural world. Now, if you know me, you know that I like an image-driven thought tool, like a way to think about things. And I've seen some good thought tools to think about paradox, but my favorite one is a suspension bridge. And the reason I like a suspension bridge is that It's built on some fundamental principles. There are these strong piers and supports that are driven down into foundational rock. And then there's these anchors at both sides. All the compression weight of the bridge is driven down into these pillars and pulled at at these sides. I don't believe in bridge manufacturing. An engineer can tell me that you can make the piers too strong. So you have to have these strong, stable piers. Then across the bridge, you have this main cable that is stretched in tension across the bridge. And hanging from that main cable then are these suspender cables. And the deck is hung on that. That's where the cars and people cross. So it remains semi-flexible. Let me make this about thinking within paradox. For a suspension bridge of truths to work, we need piers and anchors that are strong. Um, We need cables that are in tension, and we need the whole deck arrangement to be flexible. If the pier or anchor is weak, then the whole thing is going to collapse underneath its own strength. And if the cables are not in tension and the deck is not flexible, then under tension, it will just tear itself apart. And so as we begin to think about how it works in thinking about carrying an idea, this means when we go to establish two things that appear to be paradoxically true but different, we don't weaken the position of either one. In fact, if we think of the truths as being the pier and post and anchor, we drive the truth deeper into the ground. So when faced with a paradox like, if God is good and I am in a really difficult time of my life, we don't have to ignore or mitigate either one of those. 
we can really experience real suffering. We don't have to say that suffering isn't real and drive in the truth about who God is. And then they live in this dynamic tension. The truth about it gets carried in this tension in between. Now, sometimes as we examine these two different truths, the more we study the truth, the more it'll feel like those truth facts pull it even further apart, like they're drawn further. And sometimes you'll find like more harmony of the question in between, but sometimes those things will draw further and further apart, but the truth about them will be, still be carried in the tension in between. Throughout history, people have wanted to smooth out some of the paradoxical mysteries of Christianity and thus made profound mistakes. Um, early in the Christian movement, there was a man named Arius who could not handle the idea of Jesus being 100% God and 100% man. Like Einstein, he couldn't handle the paradox. It broke all of his neat little mental lines and calculations, so he had to make Jesus less. He was still grand, but he needed to make Jesus a created thing. And it did flatten out the paradox for him. He didn't have to have truths held in tension. It just also emptied the gospel of all of its good news, created a heresy, and led a lot of people astray. The, the truth is when the truth is strong, the piers and the anchors are strong, and the tension and the deck get to twist and pull, and we get to explore that space in between. For the next five weeks, we are going to look at five of these central paradoxes of Christianity, from Jesus' birth through to his death and resurrection. And we'll find in that these pillars of truth and this tension and flexibility has to have stability and dynamic flexibility and tension like a suspension bridge. Now, today to set us off in the right way, enjoying the power of paradox, I want to share with you one of my two favorite intentionally paradoxical scriptures. And I love it because it is both beautiful and true. Uh, like a single electron moving through every possible gate in a quantum computer all at once, what I love about this passage is its mind-bending, mind-engrossing, astounding, paradoxical realities. Um, read with me Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. This is sometimes called the Great Colossians Hymn. It says, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This was written by the Apostle Paul, whose own life and theology are rife with paradox. I'm wondering, did you pick up some of these paradox in Colossians? Did you see in verse 15 that Jesus is both the visible image of the inherently invisible God? That Jesus, in verse 16, is the firstborn of all creation by whom everything was created. Also in verse 16, all things were made through Jesus for Jesus. He is the gift giver and the gift recipient. Verse 17, Jesus is the firstborn from from among the dead and the resurrected one before all things. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus is the completely eternal, timeless, immortal fullness of God and also the man bleeding on a cross. Now, some of the confusion of this passage can be helped with a better understanding of firstborn. So in verse 15, firstborn probably means here his positional authority of being the firstborn like in a family. And then in the second case, firstborn from the from the dead probably means like something like the first of a new type that is resurrected human beings. But all of these paradoxes are born out of very real tensions. Jesus is both the timeless person of the Godhead and the flesh and blood man born in Bethlehem. He is both the immortal God and a mortal man. He is both outside of time and in time, both a man dying on the cross and the lamb slain before the creation of the world. You see, like Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein and the Apostle Paul, who is a neat legal scholar, the verdict has to be something like this. Some of the most brilliant truth is found within paradox. It's not destroyed by paradox, but amplified by paradox. Like I said at the beginning, the quantum computer only works when you let the paradox exist. It's then that you get to enjoy the truth. And the same goes with the ultimate realities of creation or theology. It's only when we let the paradox exist that we explore its tensions, its grief, its joy, its momentary nature, and its eternality. It's then that we get to explore the depth and beauty of the truth. So I hope that you will jump in. Get unsettled, but not unrooted. Because we have five more weeks of paradox to go. Would you join me in a prayer? Lord Jesus, the moment we begin to pray to you, we begin to express a living paradox. You are a man limited in a single location. You are God who through the Holy Spirit is able to to be everywhere at once. Hear every prayer. You have all the time you need in the universe to be with every human as long as you want to. It is not beyond your capacity 
to hear it and know it all at once and to still be in one location in your own body. Lord, thank you for these grand, miraculous truths. Thank you that they don't destroy each other, they complement one another. And that as we work to drive the truths down like piers into the foundational bedrock, and as we stretch that tension out, we'll be able to discover, explore, understand, appreciate, and be awestruck by the truth that we find in that dynamic tension. You are amazing, and you're good, and you're faithful. Help us to appreciate you better, love you more, and follow you well. In your good name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.